0: Awaken
1: podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching.
2: Good morning and welcome to Awaken. Uh, Another week. You did it. It's an accomplishment nowadays. Uh, It's not always easy. So uh, whatever you're bringing in today, um, it belongs. And we've created a space here for you to hold it lightly, and let some of it go, if possible. My name is Trevor. Uh, I am the Director of Student Ministries here at Awaken. Um, Special welcome if you're new. Uh, Can't imagine it's an easy time to connect to a church. Uh, And so if you're looking to do that, the best way is through the Awaken website. There is a connection card process. Fill out some information there. Someone from our staff will reach out to you and hopefully plug you into some of those events that are going on right now. It's looking a little different, but there's a lot of beautiful things still happening around here. Um, Before uh, we get going, I wanted to lead us in a call to worship. Um, Today I'm going to be taking us through Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. Um, Before I do that, I just want to uh, encourage you, invite you, if you will, to... Take a second and pause. Bear in mind everything that's going on in your life right now. Find a comfortable position. Maybe take a couple breaths. Close your eyes if it helps. Whatever you can do to really enter back into your body right now. And I'll read these words over us. For you created my inmost being. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Amen.
1: Well, let's sing together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord.
0: All right, before we move on, we are going to sing the song of blessing over our kids. So um, grab your kiddos, bring them in closer, and let's sing the song over them.
3: to awaken the church we call awaken uh, my name is Micah I'm one of the pastors and I'm glad to be with you today uh, I want to start this morning actually with a poem <clears throat> it's a poem by uh, John O'Donohue, and uh, it's called for presence so settle in for this little reading it goes like this awaken to the mystery of being here enter the quiet immensity of your own presence Have joy and peace in the temple of your senses. Receive encouragement when new frontiers beckon. Respond to the call of your gift and the courage to follow its path. Let the flame of anger free you of all falsity. May the warmth of your heart keep your presence aflame. May anxiety never linger about you. May your outer dignity mirror an inner dignity of the soul. Take time to celebrate the quiet miracles that seek no attention. Be consoled in the secret symmetry of the soul. May your experience each day as a sacred gift woven around the heart of wonder. So welcome back, friends, to week five of our series called A Long Winter. Um, We've been engaging and exploring these different practices um, in hopes that they would get you through what is a long winter. Uh, a long winter separated from each other by a pandemic and all sorts of other things happening in our lives, but practices that I hope nourish you uh, and your faith in your spiritual journey. So over the past five weeks, we've looked at the prayer of examine, we've looked at creation and nature, we've looked at fasting, and last week imaginative, uh, excuse me, imaginative prayer and Lectio Divina, that's easy for me to say. And today I want to look at the practice of embodiment. And I got to be honest with you, when we were talking about this series and embodiment as a whole week of teaching or a, uh, a whole week on embodiment and a teaching to go with it, um, I was a little, uh, uh, well, what shall I say? I was, I was not certain that it was going to make the cut. Um, I, I, I thought, well, what is embodiment anyways? You know, everybody's talking about it. It's a bit of a buzzword and I tend to be a little skeptical if everybody's talking about it, but... Um, our team, our worship planning team, got together, and it's mostly women on that team. And thankfully, um, stereotypically, I will say, women tend to be a little more connected to their bodies than men. That's not always the case, but sometimes, most of the time. <laughs> and so they began to present a case as to why we should, in fact, um, talk about this idea this topic of embodiment and that we needed a whole week on it and so um, they didn't have to talk long before I was convinced. Uh, Author J. N. Farrar writes this she says the mystery of incarnation never alluded to the entrance of the spirit into the body but rather to its becoming flesh. It's not that this it enters the entrance of the spirit into the body but rather it's becoming flesh So the body is the spirit made flesh. And so to live fully aware and connected to the flesh of the human body and simultaneously fully aware of the divine presence wrapped up in this body, this spirit is to live an embodied life. Uh, Richard Rohr, in his book called The Divine Dance, opens the book and, and claims essentially that Christians, more often than not, Christians aren't actually Trinitarians, but rather they're monotheists. Uh, he quotes um, a guy named Karl Rahner. And Rahner basically says, like, you can, um, if you had to take the Trinity out of um, published literature and liturgy in the Christian church, like 98% of things would remain unchanged. Essentially, arguing that there's not much in our liturgy or in our tradition that is focused specifically on the Spirit. Uh, similarly, and this was, much of, this was much of my experience growing up in the churches I grew up in. Like, we love God the Father, you know? No problem talking about God the Father. Father God this, Father God that, Father, Father, Father. No problem with that. And Jesus, heaven's to Betsy, we love Jesus. You know, Jesus, 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 the name above all names. The whole story's about Jesus. He died on the cross for our sins, for crying out loud. It's Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus. But not a lot of talk about the Spirit, right? In fact, there was a little bit of elitism Uh, often, you know, we talk about those crazy Pentecostals, you know, speaking in tongues and running around and making all sorts of noise. Um, Similarly, as it relates to the idea of body, mind, and soul, we Western Christians, we love the idea of the mind, right? The intellect, you know, it's all about orthodoxy. You got to be orthodox, and you can't have orthodoxy without the mind. And we love the soul. Uh, the, The whole story of the Bible is wrapped up in this idea of the soul, the soul's destination after death. But, you start talking about the body. It's like, whoa, slow, let's back up the truck there, pal. You know, our bodies, it gets us in a lot of trouble. Our flesh, we got to deny the flesh and follow the spirit, right? All well and good. Here's my claim this morning. I want to claim that many Christians in our tradition, and I would say our tradition is Western evangelicalism, broadly speaking, have a very disembodied Experience of faith and the spiritual life. Um, here's an example. If you were to go through, like, the hymnody of the Christian church, you know, the hymnals and the pews, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a, bo- a song that celebrated the body, the human body. Or, like, a song in our modern worship culture. Um, go through the, our planning center, like, catalog of songs you're not going to find very many, if any, that celebrate the human body. So this week, I want to talk about embodiment, this practice, and why it's important for us to practice being embodied people of faith. So first, I'm actually going to ground our time in Scripture, and um, I recognize that um, what I'm about to read, it's a bit of a passage in search of an idea. Um, I'm not going to exegete these passages, but I want to let the scriptures kind of speak to them. I want them to kind of um, uh, hold what we're going to talk about today. And actually, Trevor didn't know this, but I'm going to read a part of Psalm 139 as well. Uh, And then I'm going to read a passage from Song of Songs, so buckle up. Um, No, keep the kids in the room, crying out loud. So this is Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And from Song of Songs, chapter four, your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with the courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin gazelles, twin fawns of a gazelle that bra- browse among the lilies. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we take a few moments to gather around scripture and around this topic, this idea of embodiment, I pray that your spirit would be present to us in very real and, pr- and powerful ways, that we would sense Um your Emmanuel presence with us, that we would be um, we would hear an invitation from you to uh, the things that you are longing for us to experience and to know, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, and church said together, Amen. So again, as we start this morning, my claim is that. Many Christians in our tradition of Western evangelicalism have a very disembodied experience of faith and life and the spiritual life. So first, why are Christians so often connected with their bodies? Um, And I would say let's just be honest here, right? Uh, I think we're afraid of sex. Um, Last year we did a learning lab on healthy sexuality and our I think what I learned maybe more clear than anything else in that experience was that we as the church and Christians are largely afraid of sex. Consequently, we've done a really poor job of creating spaces and cultures and and climate language to talk about it in very healthy and constructive ways. Uh, My friend Becky, who taught the class, actually started a podcast. It's called Fun Parts. Um, I would highly recommend it. Uh... I had Becky on Good Morning Awaken uh, last summer, right after we did Song of Songs in Lost in Translation. But part of the reason why they started this podcast was because they found that there was this gigantic vacuum um, and lack of information and resources around this topic of sexuality. And um, they created it so when people of faith finally came to grips with the fact that they were sexual beings, they might have some kind of resource to be able to listen to and engage in. And so as you listen to the podcast, and as I've, I had conversations with the people who have made it, um, what they are finding, and what I would agree with, is that many, many, many people of faith live largely disembodied lives. Disconnected from their body, essentially. And because of fear and shame that was wrapped up in their conversations, or their lack thereof conversations around sex. Now, friends, I, as your, one of your pastors here, I'm just going to say this has got to change. Um, and I'm, I'm somewhat committed to, to creating a culture in a church where it's normal to talk about sex. And it's normal to talk about our bodies. Because as we talk about it as normal, guess what? It becomes normal. Every person who's watching this is the product of sex. I, I hate to tell you that. Sorry. But it's true. So the Bible seems really okay with our bodies. It seems in all of its parts. The whole book of Song of Songs like, celebrates us. And assumes that that is true. So, why do we often live disembodied lives as Christians? I think in part because we're afraid of sex. Secondly, I would say that because we've been peddling a largely Gnostic gospel. Now, let me just nerd out here for a minute on fun parts. They call it Nerdy 30, where Pastor Steve comes on and does some bit of theology. So, a little bit of church history here, okay? The first and second centuries, there was a heresy that developed. It was called Gnosticism. Now, Gnostic or Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, and that means knowledge or knowing. The basic idea is that the material world, the physical world that we live in, was essentially this giant primordial error of this super supreme being, often referred to as Sophia or wisdom. Okay? Now I'm not gonna bore you with all the details of Gnosticism, but one of the results of this belief is the separating of that which is spiritual from that which is material and matter. So knowledge of God in the spiritual world is to be pursued, it's the highest good, we're gonna move towards that. And essentially matter in the physical world and bodies and food and the like is to be avoided and not pursued, right? You can imagine the result of this belief a very disembodied and disconnected experience as a human where spiritual things and souls are privileged and sought after and the body and matter and and physical things are avoided and prohibited and discouraged. Does this sound like the gospel that anyone was taught or told when they were a kid? The whole point of the story in the gospel I was told as a kid was that Jesus died so our souls could go to heaven and first second Peter two says that the earth is going to burn up in a ball of flames right? The day of the Lord will come the heavens will appear Elements will be destroyed by fire. So, why do so many Christians experience or have a disembodied experience of life and faith? Because the church has been teaching it for the last 75 years. (sighs) So, it's no wonder that so many of us feel this way. If anyone's interested in this topic, I would strongly recommend a podcast called Apocalypse, or it's called Throughline, it's by NPR, and there's a specific episode called Apocalypse Now where they sort of trace the, the the history of evangelicalism. And you can be, you can see in this podcast, like the seeds of what I'm talking about, this disembodied and disconnected from our bodies gospel that we've been talking about. So we're scared of sex, the gospel, we've been told the gospel that's encouraged a disembodied faith. And third, I would say, the values of independence, autonomy, and freedom. Independence, autonomy, and freedom. For us in America, we have to reckon with the fact that, independence autonomy and freedom are it's the game it's the highest good our entire national narrative is is wrapped up in this idea we formed a government in opposition to the monarchy because they wanted us to stay dependent on them but no we're independent man we're americans for crying out loud and the autonomous so you have independence the aut- autonomy the autonomous rational self is the enlightenment of the zenith, or the, uh, the zenith of, of the enlightenment. It's like the, the whole point of the enlightenment project. Descartes bases the very foundation of being, not in relational terms, but in autonomy and rationale. I think, therefore, I am. And then freedom. This is the bedrock for the animating narrative of the American project. And we have people who are willing to die for what they think it means. If the last three months has taught us anything, it's taught us that. But let's think about this. Like, having a body, so you have independence, autonomy, and freedom. But having a body screams at you every day that you are not independent, but in fact dependent on all kinds of things. Food and clothing, to be for one. That you're not autonomous and that you're not free, but you're actually bound in relationship to the people around you. I mean, think about all the things that are deeply satisfying in the human experience. Love, sex, food, friendship, family, they all require a body. A body is the foundation of our deepest joy. Rachel Coleman in The Practice of Embodiment writes this. She says, our dependency is not our downfall, but the very means of our elevation. I think this is part of why COVID has been so debilitating and terrifying. I mean, think about this. The very vessel through which we experience the deepest content of the human life is now the carrier of a deadly weapon, often unknowingly. That's an unsettling idea, and it's real. The very thing we desire most, the body, another human person, is the thing we have to avoid. If by chance you have felt this nagging existential discomfort, In this period of social distancing and Zoom and online church, that's a valid and completely understandable experience. If human life and the religion of Christianity is intended to be an embodied experience, then a completely disembodied medium through which we've been forced to do church is a daily dissonant and disappointing experience. Just yesterday, well... It's Monday right now, but yesterday when I left this p- podium um, after leading our live worship gathering, I got home and Laura was like, how'd it go? And I just said, meh. <laughs> I just felt so disembodied. Like, I was in this room totally by myself. And I felt it yesterday. And you all were not here. You were somewhere else. So the very medium that we've been forced to engage in and forced to do community and church. And I'm grateful for all the ways that people are like, you know, going above and beyond and sacrificing and like, we're we're doing it, we're we're committed to each other. So we're staying in it, I'm grateful. But if you've had like an existential experience of dissonance, hello, that's totally normal. So I would argue many Christians in our tradition, Western evangelicalism, have 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 a very disembodied experience of faith and spiritual life. For those reasons, right? We're afraid of sex. Uh, what was number two? Where is that? Oh, we've been peddling a largely Gnostic gospel. And three, because uh, of, of this. Well, what was three? He's Louise. Micah, where's... Oh, yeah. Independence, autonomy, and freedom. There we go. Okay. Now, so what are the benefits of an embodied experience, an embodied follower of Jesus? Well, first and foremost, it's consistent with the Incarnation, <laughs> Now, you could you could argue, and I wouldn't bet against you, that the Incarnation may be the most important idea in the Christian story. The ultimate union of divinity and humanity, Jesus the Christ, fully God, fully human, fully spirit, fully flesh. Athanasius of Alexandria wrote, he was incarnate that we might be made God. Right, a previously ridiculous and absurd idea that sinful and broken humans could somehow become holy as God is holy having been made possible through Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate. This is the, the, the Eastern Orthodox idea of theosis. Here's another way of saying this. If the goal of the Christian life is to be more like Jesus, then embodiment is going to get you closer to that goal. Because Jesus was, well, the embodiment of embodiment. <laughs> he, he, he was embodiment. Fully God, fully human, embodied in the reality we know is Jesus the Christ. So if you want to be more like Jesus, if that's the point of the Christian faith, then embodiment has to be a part of it because that's what Jesus did. Secondly, our body keeps the score. Now there's an idea called epigenetics. You may have heard of this idea, but epigenetics is the study of heritable phenotype changes that do not involve alterations to the DNA sequence. What does that mean? It means that events that my grandparents and my parents had, specifically traumatic events, can actually get passed down through generations. Not, they don't change the DNA structure of a human, but there are, what do they call it, heritable phenotype changes. So, the events in our lives, the effects of which, have the potential of being passed on to the next generation. Lots of people are talking about this these days, and for good reason, especially in this like awakening in our culture around race and racism to the effects of systemic racism and trauma? The idea is basically that traumatic events and the effects of traumatic events can be passed on to the next generation, just like the shape of our nose or the color of our eyes. This phrase that we've come to know and talk about is the body keeps the score. So if it's true that what we experience in our bodies impacts who we are and how we act and how we show up, then for us to be disconnected, disembodied, from what we've experienced in them sounds like a total disaster waiting to happen, right? (laughs) Like if we remain naive and ignorant to this fact that our bodies carry the trauma that we've experienced and the effects of trauma that not only I have experienced, that potentially my parents and my grandparents and their parents have, if we stay disembodied and disconnected from our bodies, we run the risk of unknowingly allowing those traumas to impact and influence our current relationships right here and right now. Here's an illustration, an example. So the staff, we're reading this book called Me and White Supremacy. Jenna led a study this last summer. We're reading it now. It's a 28-day study. We read seven days. We journal about it. There are questions after each day. And then on Wednesdays when we have staff, we have an hour and a half where we devote to this study and discussing it together. This last week was awful. I hated every second of it. I was so anxious and angry and um, frustrated I was defensive the whole time. I was consistently questioning. Like I found myself um, really concerned about justice and like the possibility that someone could be accused of something incorrectly. Like I kept trying to imagine a scenario where is it possible where this isn't true for someone? And all of this was happening in my body. Like I was breathing faster. I, I, I found myself having to take very deep breaths. My blood pressure was going up. I was sweating. I was just, I felt like the, my ears were ringing. In discussing this afterwards with my wife at lunch, she's like, yeah, I'm experiencing you as very defensive. And I just said, like, I cannot figure out, like, why? Why was that my, my, like, my go-to response? And she said, that's the question. That's where you dig. That's where you go. What is it? Why did my body respond that way? So my work now is figure out how and why I responded that way to dig a little bit deeper and pay attention to what my body was trying to tell me. Side note, there's all this talk about anti-racism and that being a good thing. And I agree. And we as a church are saying, we want to be about the work of anti-racism. Guess what? You can't do the work of anti-racism as disembodied Christians. So if that's something that's important to us, then collectively we have to be moving towards being embodied more and more, embodied and connected to our bodies as followers of Jesus. Body, mind, and soul. Lastly, what are the benefits of an embodied follower of Jesus? It's consistent with our value of authenticity. Like we've said authenticity is a value to the degree that we painted it on the wall over there. And for many of you, and I know this because you've told me, your struggle with church and pastors and Christians and leaders has been, often, is wrapped up in a lack of authenticity that you see from people like me and stages like this. You've experienced a lack of integration in, from the spiritual leaders who've attempted to lead you. And authenticity requires integration. Bringing together in union sometimes two dissonant ideas or, or um Opposing ideas. So what are the benefits of an embodied Christian? If authenticity and becoming whole and integrated is important to you, then embodiment will be required in that work. Becoming aware fully of living in this body, my flesh, as a human, and becoming fully aware of the divine spark that is in me, the spirit. Becoming aware of the image of God present in me. This is the work of embodiment. For many of us, we've lived disconnected from our bodies, myself included, which is part of the reason why I didn't want to do this. But for all sorts of reasons, many of which I've argued today, maybe because of the fear of sex, maybe because of this creeping heresy of Gnosticism in our good news, maybe because we've believed that this lie of independence and autonomy and freedom is actually what is best for us but the Christian story rises and falls on the embodiment of God in something we call the Incarnation, in Jesus. And if we stay disconnected from our bodies, these bodies which are keeping score and helping us, trying to tell us things, then I don't know if we can walk this road of becoming integrated and whole and embodied spiritual beings. But if we do, if we listen to these bodies... If we learn to live in them, body, mind, and soul, then this idea of becoming fully human and fully spirit, embodied as a human, is possible for us. And I believe it's the best life. Let me close with this. Twice in the last couple of weeks, I've had an experience where somebody asked me a question. And it was, I don't remember the context of each of them specifically, but the gist of it was, like, how did this make you feel? And so I jump in, and I start talking, and I answer, uh, you know, I'm describing something about this or about that. And making a statement about something else. And after I finished, the person's, in both instances, looked at me and said, Micah, how did that make you feel? Like, I didn't even answer the question. Uh, News flash, some of us have a hard time knowing what we're feeling. And even more than that, how you feel it, how or where that feeling shows up in your body. So my hope and prayer as we spend some time talking about this is that the importance of embodiment is raised. That you begin to see a case being built for this is work we need to be doing, that we're being invited to do, to be increasingly connected to these frames that we live in. That it's not just all about our heads and what we believe to be true, or not even just about our souls, but about these bodies. And that as we do, we would become integrated and whole beings. That we would be embodied Followers of Jesus. And in in that, follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who was God incarnate, God in a body. So here's my invitation to you this week. Every week we try to leave you with something simple, something you can do. So a couple of options. Number one, yoga or exercise. Yoga is a great practice. Um, I have a bet or a deal with my wife that if I do more yoga, she'll go fly fishing with me. So maybe yoga's in my future. I've done it a few times. I've enjoyed it. But even just exercise, like do something with your body. And as it moves, like be present and aware of what's happening in it. Where you feel pain or where you feel tightness, where you feel soreness. Um, Notice it as a gift from God, this body that you're using as you exercise. Uh, Make something with your hands, like create something, build something, paint something, cook something, like make something with your hands. And in that act of creating, um, like pay attention to the ways in which this thing that you live in can offer something into the world, like be connected to that process. Um, Three, a body scan. Mel actually recorded one that's going to be released with the podcast. There, there's hundreds, thousands of them out there. But this is just a, a simple meditative practice for you to engage where it's, it's helping you like think through, and not even think through, but feel through your body from the top of your head to the bottoms of your toes. So uh, if you get the, the podcast through Apple or some other feed, uh, or you go to the website, that link to this body scan will be available. So you can do that, and Mel will lead you through that this week. Um, and it, the hope is that you feel your whole body right? Um, Get a massage. Go get get a facial. Uh, Go to the chiropractor. Invest in your body. This is your pastor speaking, and I'm telling you, go do this. Like, be kind to your body. And as you do, like, feel your whole body as a gift from God in what's happening as you invest in it. So those are just a couple of ideas for, uh, and if you just look on, online, you could find some more things that will help us move towards this practice of embodiment, living fully in these bodies that we have. So that's my hope and prayer. Share what you're doing online on the Facebooks and the Instagrams and tell each other uh, how these things are helping in this long winter that we are in. So let me offer a word of prayer and then a moment of silence and then Mel will lead us in song and we'll make our way to the Eucharist, the table of the Lord. So pray with me. God, as we take some time to consider uh, the words of Scripture and the words that we've heard this evening, well, I guess this morning, depending on when you're listening, uh, Holy Spirit, we trust you as our guide and um, we want to be Whole people who are integrated, living fully human lives. Connected to the deep um, image of God that we bear. So I pray that in these next few moments you might do your work. And whatever our invitation is this week, that it would be clear, I pray.
0: Well, we're gonna share a song right now that I wrote uh, along the lines of wanting to be more connected with myself and my body. Um, we were going through a book as a staff called My Grandmother's Hands earlier uh, in 2020. And um, I was encouraged to take a moment to just connect and notice where I might be feeling tight or constricted or... Um, and, and the message that I was encouraged to share with myself was to tell myself that um, I am safe, and I belong in my body. And it was really, really helpful for me. So uh, hopefully this song uh, encourages you to do that. And also uh, a reminder that not only are we safe in our bodies, but we are safe in the hands of God. Um, It's been a chaotic time for each and every one of us. Um, So this is just uh, an invitation, maybe a prayer um, that you can pray when you start to feel that tension or... um, just overwhelmed maybe by the chaos of life. This is called Help Me Believe.
1: And help me
3: It's actually fitting that we um, end our time with communion, Eucharist. The very act of Eucharist is the affirmation of body and blood, the means by which salvation and reconciliation is enacted by God. In the body and blood of Jesus, God chooses humanity to repair and restore. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. The same way he took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. So whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. As we make our way to this table, it's important to remember that this is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith or you who have little, you who have been here often or not been here for a long time or ever before, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come, not because I, your pastor, invites you, but because the Christ, The Embodied One invites you to come and be filled, to be known, to be put back together at the table. So as you take the bread, I invite you to hear these words. The body of Christ, broken for you, take and eat. And in the same way, I invite you to take the cup and hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you, take and drink. Friends, good to be together. Um, Wish I could see your faces in here, but that day will come someday. Uh, Before you go, a couple things you should know about that are happening. Number one, just a reminder, prayer on Monday nights, 8.30, uh, this Monday night, 8.30 p.m. It's just a short little uh, meditation. You're led by uh, Katie Scipione, who leads our prayer team more often than not. And so um, that is available to you on Monday night. Uh, that's by Zoom. All these are in the Awaken Weekly, by the way. You can get the links for them. Uh, the Artist is coming up February the 4th. Mel leads that. And that's 7 p.m. for those of you who are consider yourself artists or uh, creative folks and want to process and talk about those the things that are particular to that craft. Uh, and then last but not least, there's an Enneagram triad. Um, Jane's been leading these. That's coming on February the 8th, 7 p.m. Numbers 5, 6, and 7 in the Enneagram. So, again... All this is available uh, through the Awaken Weekly. You can sign up and register online. Um, And that's about it, friends. I think that wraps it up for us. So thanks for being with us. Bless you. We love you. We miss you. Um, Receive this blessing as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace. <laughs> <laughs>
0: find us online at www.awakenedcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakening Community or on Twitter at Community. See you next
1: time.